If you have your Bibles, I'm going to ask that you would turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. For those of you that have been coming just the last couple of weeks, we started a series back at the beginning of March, and the series is called Beyond, where we have been taking a, a, a scriptural look at what happens after death, what happens when we get to heaven, what happens in eternity. And we have uh, followed along with a number of different subjects. Uh, and if you would like, you can go to the website. And all of these messages are listed there. And I would encourage you to take a look at those and, and kind of get caught up with what's going on if you haven't heard any of them. But today we are approaching the subject of the judgment seat of Christ. This is for the believers. This is for people who believe in Jesus Christ that will stand before the judge and have our works judged and rewarded based on the way that we live our life. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10, the scripture says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each of us may receive what is due us for the things done while in the body, whether good or whether bad. Father, I pray now that you would lead us over these next few moments in your word and that as we examine ourselves, that you would lead us by your spirit to live lives of greater levels of obedience than we've ever lived before so that we can please you and that when we stand before you, we will have things within our life that will be rewardable. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. I would like to picture, picture with me, if you could, a scenario where you are told that you are given one day, one 24-hour period, and how you spend the next 24 hours will determine what your life will be like for the next 1,000 years. You are told ahead of time that there are some activities that if you involve yourself in them, that the reward from those activities will stretch throughout that 1,000 years. You're told that there's other things that if you do, will not have any reward whatsoever. And so you face the next 24 hours understanding that 1,000 years will be based on the behavior of these 24 hours. How would you live? What would you do? What would your priorities be? Are there things that you would do that you would do differently, that you would live differently over the next 24 hours than you normally do? Would obeying the master and the instructions that you have been given, would that take absolute precedence? Would you treat people differently over the next 24 hours? If so, would you forgive more easily? Would you not allow yourself to be offended? What would you do and how would you live if you knew that in the next 24 hours, the way you lived would determine the next 1,000 years of your life? I believe that no matter how long we live, we need to understand that our life is but a vapor here. Just a vapor. In fact, the older we get, the faster time goes. Because we recognize that we're given just a limited time. And regardless of the length of our life, in light of eternity, this is nothing. This is nothing. And yet, how we live our lives after we come to Christ determines what our reward will be for eternity. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 24 through 27 says, Do you not know that all in the race, all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last forever. 
Therefore, I do not run like someone who's running aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. No, I strike a blow to my body and I make it a slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. There is a discipline that we who are children of God are asked to live in. And that as we walk in this discipline, we understand that when we stand before God at the judgment seat of Christ or the Bema seat, that everything within our lives will be revealed. And our reward will be based on what we have done with the Christ that we know and the gifts that he has given us to this point. It will be a thorough investigation of all of our motives, our intentions, our thoughts, our words, our deeds, everything. My father-in-law, who pastored Shirley Assembly of God for over 40 years, and I were sitting down this week, and as I was preparing this, we just began to talk for a few minutes about the aspect of having our motives revealed before God. Because for me, as I look at this thing, even when I do the right thing, I have to tell you, sometimes my motives may not always be pure. And I thought, what will that be like for God to reveal the motives of everything? And how can we who are human beings find reward in anything, yet God knows what he's doing. In the New Testament, this is also called the Bema seat. And the reason it is is because the people at that time were familiar with the term Bema. In fact, Paul was writing and he had been at a place where the Bema seat exists there in Corinth. And there are some pictures that I would like you to take a look at that gives a little bit of an idea of what the Bema seat in the city of Corinth looked like. The one who would be doing the judging would be standing up on the top, and that is about 8 to 10 feet high. And so the judge would be up there looking down at the individual who is being judged. And so we can go to the next slide. You can see in the background that there's a little sign on that wall, and that says Bema, indicating that this was the original Bema seat in Corinth. The person who would be judged would be standing uh, at something that would look like this. It was a one-person place standing there looking up at the one who would be doing the judging. And then I believe that we have another view that encompasses what it would look like from the top from where the judge is looking down on the individual that was being judged. So when Paul speaks of the Bema seat, he was speaking from a position of having been there. He knew what it was like. Now this Bema seat was used for two different things. First of all, it was used as a place where judgment. People were brought and they stood and they were judged there. The second thing that this particular Bema seat was used for was to give rewards for those who had been involved in the games. And as they would stand there, the one that was standing doing the judging would ask and a wreath would be placed upon those who won an athletic event. And so it was a place of judgment and a place of reward. And so Paul begins to tell us through Scripture, there's coming a day... When we who know Jesus Christ, at the end of our life, or whether we are raptured, will stand before God and every one of us will give an account for everything that we have done within our life. Now, Scripture indicates that there are at least eight judgments that are mentioned in Scripture. Let me quickly highlight them for you. First of all is the judgment with with Christ has experienced for us already on the cross. 
It says in John 5, 24, Verily, I tell you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged but has crossed over from death to life. I want you to know that's the reason we celebrate today because I was once a sinner, but Jesus took my judgment for me, paid the penalty of my sin, and today I stand on the other side and will not be judged for sins that God paid the penalty for when Jesus sacrificed on the cross. The second judgment that the Scripture speaks about is a self-judgment that's found in Corinthians 11.31. It says, but if we were more discerning with regard to ourselves, we would not come under judgment. In other words, if we just were more obedient to the promptings of the Holy Spirit within our life, we would stay out of trouble. How many of you know that to be true? About half of you. If I would just do what the Spirit tells me to do when He tells me to do it, I would save myself a lot of trouble. Most of the trouble I've gotten into is when I didn't do what He told me to do. And He tells us if we would just learn to judge ourselves, to obey, we would save ourselves issues. It's called the convicting power of the Holy Spirit. Now, I don't know how much you understand of this, but I can tell you that there have been many times when I get to the end of a message and I can see conviction in your face. There are moments when I know the Spirit of God is speaking to individuals and sometimes you fight it, you don't want to give in and I can see the battle, the spiritual battle, as the Spirit is saying, just do what I tell you to do. And I also have seen the joy of one who is being convicted by the Spirit to respond to say, yes, And the flood of satisfaction that comes in walking into that obedience as we learn to obey the convincing and convicting power of the Spirit. A friend of mine, Bill Kirk, says this, Any sin that's arrested in your mind by the power of God's Holy Spirit never becomes a part of your past that you regret or have to seek forgiveness for. If we would learn to arrest in our minds actions before they ever become an activity, then we don't have to ask forgiveness for things that the Spirit stopped us from in our minds ahead of time. The third kind of judgment that's listed is a discipline which comes from God. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 5 to 7 says, My son, don't take light the Lord's discipline, and do not lose heart when he rebukes you, because the Lord disciplines those that he loves and chastens everyone that he accepts as a son. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as his children. For some of you, this answers a question. Some of you have wondered, why do I go through in my life things that I'm doing? Why does it seem so hard from time to time? I want you to know that the Lord is using the circumstances of your life to develop something in you that becomes a discipline. We each learn different ways, and maybe you're hard-headed enough that you just have to keep going through these things till you finally say, okay, Lord, I've learned the lesson. But accept it as discipline. There's a judgment and a discipline in that. Fourthly is the judgment that we're talking about today. The fifth judgment is the judgment of Israel. And the sixth judgment, the Gentile nations. Then there's a judgment that we will participate in because the scripture tells us in 1 Corinthians 6, 3 that we will participate in judging angels. It says, do you not know that one day you will judge the angels? That will be our task. And eighth, the last is the great white throne judgment which will be the judgment for those that do not know Christ and we will talk about that next week. You do not want to be at that judgment. 
So the judgment of believers is where we're at. And when we stand before God, the things that will be judged for us, that will be opened up for the Lord to look at, that we will be held accountable for, will be things like our stewardship and our disciplines, our priorities, our relationships. We'll be judged for how we handled our spousal responsibilities and the way that we treated each other and the giving of our time, the giving of our finances and our life of service for the glory of God. All of that will be opened before us at the judgment seat of Christ, at the Bema seat, that will allow us either to be rewarded or it will be burned up as fire. So what are the characteristics of this judgment? The Bible tells us that we will all appear before there. So the first thing that we understand is we must appear. You don't have a choice. If you're a child of God, you must appear before the judgment seat of God. Second of all, it says that we must all appear. In other words, it doesn't matter who you are. None of you are going to escape it because every one of us who have been given a life will stand before God to give an account for what we did with it. It doesn't matter if you're a teenager. It doesn't matter if you're a grandma or grandpa. Every one of us will have to stand and it will be God through the eyes of Jesus looking at each of us and we will give an account for what we do. All of it. It will be before Jesus. I can think of nothing more sobering than to have to stand and look into the eyes of the one who gave absolutely everything for my freedom and have to give an account for what I did with his grace and what I did with his mercy. The Bible says that the judgment will be an individual. You will not stand together as a married couple. You will not stand together with brothers and sisters. You won't be there just because your whole family is a Christian. Individually, you will stand there. People have said, is it going to be a public? Is it going to be private? I believe that it will be public. I believe that there will be the presence of others around. Luke chapter 12, verse 8 says, I tell you, whoever publicly acknowledges me before others, the Son of Man will also acknowledge him before the angels of God. Now, some of you are going, I was with you until it was public. I don't want to, I don't want to. Public. Let me tell you why I believe it's going to be public. In Matthew chapter 25, we see the parable of the talents. The one who was given much, used it, grew it. The one who was given a little bit, grew it. The one who was given one, took it and buried it and publicly was judged in front of others where they said, you go and take that which he has and give it to those. It was a public thing. If you find that terrifying, be comforted in the fact that every one of us has good and bad in us. Every one of us. There will be nobody that will stand there and Jesus say, I just want everybody to look at this. This is the perfect person. You guys all look, just look at them. And if there is one, it will not be anybody here. (laughs) And it certainly won't be your pastor. I'm convinced that even if it is a public thing, looking into the eyes of Jesus, there will be nobody else that matters. But looking into the eyes of the one who saved you by his grace. I also believe that even if it's public, the understanding that we are standing before God to be rewarded will be of great comfort. 
and joy. The Bible tells us that it is a judgment of our works. It's not an isolated teaching in the New Testament either. In fact, in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 10 through 15, it says, By the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as a wise builder. Someone else is building on it, but each one should build with care. In other words, what you build into the lives of people around you, build with care. For no one can lay a foundation other than one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. If anyone builds on this foundation using gold or silver or costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, the Bible says their work will be shown for what it is, because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire. And the fire will test the quality of each person's work. If what has built survives, the builder will receive a reward. If it is burned up, the builder will suffer loss, but yet will be saved, even though only as one escaping through the flames. I hate cancer. I hate sickness and terminal illnesses. But I will tell you this. Through the years, I have had an opportunity to pray with a lot of people to receive Jesus Christ as a result of them having opportunity during terminal sickness to recognize they were about to see God. I've had opportunity to pray with people, some of them a couple of days before they went to the Lord and some of them minutes. The joy of that is knowing that the moment they received Jesus Christ as their Savior, their name was written in the Lamb's Book of Life. The sadness of receiving Christ At the end of your life is that they had absolutely no works that they could do for Christ to be rewarded for. They will have made it into heaven, but by fire. There are moments in time in our lives when we have to determine. I've had people say, I just want to make it in just by the skin of my teeth. I've always thought, if you have skin on your teeth, you probably need to brush them. But that's just... They just, just want to get in. I want you to know something. I don't think any of us here just wants to get in. I want to live a life that brings honor to him so that when everything is revealed and the fire comes, there's something left that I have that I've earned for eternity that helps me make decisions in the way I live today and what I do today so that when I see God's eyes, I know that his His salvation for me wasn't something that I waited to the last minute, but was a lifestyle that I was able to give to him. So there will be some that will be saved, but nothing more. Matthew 16, 27 said, For the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels, and then he will reward each person according to what they have done. In the last chapter of the Bible, Jesus says in Revelation 22, 12, Look, I am coming soon. My reward is with me. And I will give to each person according to what they have done. In other words, the way you live today is not unimportant. There are a lot of difficult questions that we need to ask ourselves as we face a day-to-day life of living as one who has faith in Jesus Christ. Because you see, the way that we live and the things that we do and the words that we say and the way that we treat each other and the way that we handle the the gifts that God has given to us, the stewardship of our time and our talents and our money will all be public evidence before everybody 
that will be brought forth into Christ's courtroom to demonstrate whether or not our faith is real. And our deeds as public evidence will be there to demonstrate the varying measures of our obedience of faith in Jesus Christ. Here's what I need you to know. Salvation is by faith. But the evidence of your salvation is the deeds in which you live out your life for Christ. You're not earning your salvation. That cannot be done. Your good works without salvation will not earn you salvation. Jesus paid the penalty for that. But following that and having joined Christ in relationship, everything you do after that earns reward. It's the evidence of your salvation. Now, we live in a world that is so cynical and people will say, you know what, I would go to church but I know Christians and, and I don't want to be like them. You know, it tells me that somewhere there's this breakdown between who we claim to be and the way we live our lives. If our lives are so unattractive to the lost because of the hypocrisy that they see within us, then we need to fall on our face before God and say, bring me into an alignment with your word, O God, as we heard this morning, that the word of God would be the guidelines by which we live so that there will be something that would be rewardable about my life when I stand before you. So please understand, your good works are not foundational to your salvation, but they are a demonstration of your salvation. Does everybody understand that? Everybody has a role to play. In 1 Corinthians 3, 8, Paul says, He who plants and he who waters have one purpose, and they will each be rewarded according to their own labor. And in Ephesians 6, 8, Paul says, Because you know that the Lord will reward each of you for whatever good they do, you need to understand, don't compare yourself to somebody else. What God wants to do in your life is different than what God wants to do in somebody else's life. And so if you sit there and say, well, you know what, if I had a more public ministry, I would have more rewards. Absolutely not. You're rewarded based on what God has created you to do and the opportunities he gives for you to do. I'm convinced that the most rewarded people in heaven will not be pastors. But I believe it will be people who week after week were faithful to the Lord. They did what they were told to do. They influenced their sphere of influence around them. They, the people they worked with and were living the life before others and God used them in magnificent ways. And you say, well, they may not have won as many people. God rewards based on what he has created you to do in the body. Here's a tweetable thought. Your life is God's gift to you. What you do with it is your gift to God. Your life is God's gift to you. What you do with it is your gift to God. Now, for those of you who were here last Sunday for Easter, you've seen this glove before. If you weren't here, you missed it. I had a lot of fun with this glove last week. I got to knock Satan across the room. The best demonstration that I can give of what does a yielded life of obedience look like is... When you come to Christ, he says your body becomes a temple of the Holy Spirit. Meaning the Holy Spirit lives within you. So your life is like the glove. The Holy Spirit is the life inside the glove who leads and guides in the hand. The glove does not tell the hand what to do. The glove flows with what the inner moving of the hand tells it to do. 
We who are walking in obedience to the Lord will be like the glove. We are seen on the outside, but we are motivated from the inside so that when people see your good works, they don't say, what a great glove. They say, no, what a great God lives within you. And so God asked each of us just to do what you've been created to do in the way and to fit into the body, and from that you will be rewarded greatly. Paul insists that there are certain kinds of deeds that will earn reward. And there are certain kinds of deeds that will not. He begins to list several kinds of deeds that will not inherit the kingdom of God. In 1 Corinthians 6, verses 9 and 10. Do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with men, nor thieves, nor greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. In other words, the scripture is telling you right up front that for those who choose to ignore the word of God, there will be no reward for your life. In fact, if these things are the practice of your life, this will not be the judgment that you are at. Because you will stand at a judgment having never known him. But we live in a generation and we live in a society that tells us, as long as I acknowledge there's a God. Oh, I believe there's a God. Oh, I believe that that Jesus lived and died. That just having that knowledge permits you to enter into the kingdom. And I want you to know very clearly, I do not want to have to stand before God and say that I left anybody with that impression. The only way you'll know that you can stand before God is to receive Jesus as your Savior and to live a life of faithfulness following that. That's the only way. You can't just say a quick prayer and then choose to disregard the Word of God and say, I said the prayer. Scripture clearly says that there are lifestyles and disobedience that will not enter in and inherit the kingdom. There's a way of life that we must choose in honoring our God. James chapter 2, verses 14 through 16. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if somebody claims to have faith but does not have deeds? Such faith, can it save them? Faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. I want you to understand this. Saying a prayer to receive Jesus and then never living a single day in your life as if he matters to you is not salvation. It's cheap hell insurance. If there is nothing within our life that would give evidence... At this trial, standing before God, that the deeds of our life supported our faith, then it will be a frightening day. John 5, 28 and 29, for there is a time coming when all those who are in their graves will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done what is good will rise to live. Those who have done what is evil will rise to be condemned. In other words, the way one lived will be evidence, whether one passes through judgment to life or whether one experiences judgment as condemnation. 
This is a sobering thing for me. And it should be for all of us. Because I don't know about you, but I have a selfish streak. And the aspect of trying to measure everything I've got, not that that this should be something that we agonize over, but just that, Lord, would you help us today to live as if our faith matters? Help me to put into perspective the aspects that, that there are those whose lives out there that do not know you will determine what you're like based on how I live it. And I fail so often, so God, I need the help of your spirit. Because if I try on my own, I'm going to fail. But inwardly, if your spirit lives within me and motivates me, then somehow, maybe there will be enough of a likeness of you in me that it will become attractive to others. And then, Lord, help me not to be ashamed of you. Help me not to be ashamed of you. Do you know it's easier for me to preach to you on a Sunday morning than it is to have a conversation one-on-one in a diner with somebody? Maybe you're like that too. Oh God, when we stand before you and the books open and our lives are laid out and flame will come to devour everything that is wood and hay and stubble, oh God, help us to live as people that when the flame is gone, there will be reward left for lives that were lived for your glory because of what you've done. I'm going to ask the worship team to come. In 1 Kings chapter 3, there's a story about Solomon standing there, and there were two women that came to him with one baby. Both of them claimed to be the mother of that child. Solomon, in his wisdom, looked at them and he said, Okay, let's cut the baby in half. Each of you get one half. Instantly, one of the mothers cried out, and she goes, No, 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 oh Lord, give the child to her. But by no means kill it. And Solomon said, give that woman the child, for she's its mother. What he was looking for there was this. He was not looking for a deed that would earn the child. He was looking for a deed that would prove that the child was already possessed at birth. God's not looking for us to do good works to earn salvation. He's looking at our life to say, what is it that salvation has motivated you to do from now on? And we will all stand. And we will all give an account. In a couple of weeks, I'm going to tell you what we can send ahead. What are the things that we can do now that will send reward ahead of us to heaven? Next week, we're going to talk about what it will be like for those to stand at the white throne judgment without Christ. You'd rather be at this one. You'd rather know Christ. I'm going to ask that you would stand with me. I asked our worship team if they would lead us in a song that... Those of you who've grown up in the church will know and love well, but it's a declaration for each of us to make that today. It's, I surrender all. I surrender all. And as we sing this, perhaps it will be your prayer today as you just stand with your hands up and say, Lord, from this moment on, I need to just say to you, I surrender everything to you. I surrender my life, my energies, my time, my money. I surrender it all to you that you might be glorified. Let's sing this together.